Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. So the impacts of COVID-19 still reshaping the economy two years into this pandemic. Now, look, beyond inflation concerns hitting consumers right now, workers are also navigating a sharp shift towards gig jobs, while employers also must navigate the so-called great resignation as demand for talent heightens. So with us today to discuss some of the big labor trends that we'll be grappling with in 2022, it is Jeff Harris. He's CEO of Vancouver-based Impact Recruitment. Jeff, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Tyler. Okay, so I've got to ask you this. You know, the, the gig economy is around, you know, long before the pandemic, and maybe it just wasn't as big of a part of the economy, though. And so did COVID-19, did it actually accelerate this trend or did the pandemic kind of fundamentally shift how the economy is operating right now? Maybe, I don't know, like making full-time work a little less certain or just making us more dependent on things like uh, Uber Eats or other delivery sorts of services? Good question. I think it did accelerate the advancement of the gig economy based on those, you know, those delivery apps and, and other ways to find work and find ways to make money. Um there's a lot of you know a lot of change already coming as, as you mentioned prior so that was it was already on its way but but supercharging it with a demand side from from people that might like myself who order food online really helped to make those jobs available now so I think that, that you've seen that supercharge happen and it's going to continue in different areas you know I've got to ask this I wonder if these are kind of two different things that we can look at here because we have this heightened demand for talents you know there's this ongoing labor shortage as well but some people can say that you know these gig economy jobs they can be a little precarious as well so if there's so much heightened demand for labor right now yet there's also kind of uh, this growth in the gig economy does it reflect just kind of a, a different time we're living in right now because of the pandemic I think so I, I think that they the Incoming of technology itself is what makes it really available to people. People have been gigging for years. They've been, you know, getting jobs in construction or, or day laboring for a long time with a very low tech way of getting those jobs. But but now you have a very high tech way of making it work. So you can be an Uber driver in the hours you choose for yourself. You can be a delivery, you know, grocery delivery person in the hours you choose for yourself. So you really have this technology flexibility now that enhances the ability to do a job in the day or a job at night or or just you know do a mix of both. So I think that's a, a big factor here. Do people, you know, working these gig jobs, uh, if you had to break it down, I know it might just be anecdotal, but is it uh, some people kind of prefer that looseness that they get, that more, you know, independence they have versus, you know, working for an employer full time? Or do some people just feel a little bit more like they're in a precarious position because they're not with kind of a full time employer and counting on like a steady paycheck? It's a good question. You know, we, we work in the, the space of contracts and permanent placement employment. So we, we did a study ourselves uh, with our with our respective agency to understand what are these individuals thinking about the world of work for themselves. What we found was we found a few different, we call them personas, but a few different kinds of people with different needs. And, and some of those people that were looking for an extra job on the side to supplement their income, they had a full-time job or part-time job, and it was an extra thing. Some of them, some people, the persona is like, I want to gig only, became their own boss. They said, okay, I want to work for myself, nobody else, be in charge of my own luck, be in charge of my destiny and make my own work happen for me. And they have different personal needs as well. Like things like they might have childcare, you know, that cuts off at 3 p.m. or they might have other things that, that preclude them from not getting a full-time classic nine to five job. And the third persona is a person who is just like, I need to make money now. 
that that's like I got to make money now, and what can I do to get that money, right? So it, it's I need to get a job, you know, in a construction site, you know, sweeping off a rooftop because it's there right now, or I can gig on the side, or they're really facing more of a financial crunch. So different people, different purpose is the way we look at it. And, and that purpose can evolve over time. It's not always like you have the same situation now or in 10 years from now, it might change. So the, the shifting is really the purpose of that person's you know, needs shifting at the same time responses, the economy shifting with it as well. So lots, lots at play, Tyler. To what degree is remote work at play? You know, we've seen this wide adoption of it very quickly right at the start of the pandemic. I'll just use this one example. I I won't name names, but I've got a a friend in journalism uh, who continues to do their full-time job. And then uh, they've picked up kind of essentially like a a a 20-hour-a-week job as well on the side in which they're kind of able to navigate both jobs simultaneously throughout the day. Uh, whereas you don't have to go into the office necessarily to uh, do, you know, get your, uh, your full-time paycheck every week. Yeah, that's, that's a good, a good point. I think remote work is playing a huge card in this entire shift. Um, you know, for, for the employer who employs people full-time nine to five classic, they also are embracing the remote workforce as well for their own employees. So you're seeing that you're seeing people pick up gigs, remote work, nighttime work, and again, technology is playing a huge role here. You can, you can work for different companies that allow you to work this freelance style, that allow you to bill by the hour and to work your own schedule. So I think that remote work itself is really in a part of the gig economy. It's not the classic Uber driver or delivery person. It's really the person who freelances and they can be, you know, a, a white collar job or we call it a professional job that, that may be, you know, high pay. So it's playing a huge role, Tyler. The thing that I'm also curious about is maybe the state of the great resignation, as we're calling it. Um, we've been hearing a lot about you know uh, this sense that there was economic uncertainty at the start of the pandemic, and a lot of people kind of buckled in, stuck with their full-time jobs if they weren't already laid off. And there was kind of this demand that built and built and built, and they were ready in a more certain economic position to uh, jump ship to another career, a- another company. Um, that's definitely something that's been very well documented down in the United States. But, you know, BIV, we, we looked into it here in Canada, and, and we weren't exactly looking at necessarily the same numbers going on in Canada. Is that reflective of your own experience? Is it maybe uh, inaccurate to say that it's not going on in Canada to the same extent in the United States? I'm, I'm just curious about your own perspective on this so-called Great Resignation. It's a good question as well. I think that, you know, the Great Resignation as a phenomenon is going on in Canada still. It's just not to the same degree as the United States is facing it. Um, United States employers are very different than Canadian employers. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of different states, different rules, different different ways of, of treating your employees as an employer. And, you know, we, we work across Canada, our companies. So we understand employers from coast to coast. And we, we don't see a market difference in how you treat your employees from province to province. And in a, in a big way, that's that's nice to see because you, you know you're going to get you know decent employment across Canada. Um, but in, in the United States, there's a lot more variables down there. There's a, you know, obviously the population is ten times the size. There's a huge population there, and there's different different states, different rights, different level of, of unionization down there or not. Um, so a lot of different things happen down there where you're seeing frustrations that are coming to the surface during these times. I believe in a greater scale there than here because it's just a difference in culture. Employers in Canada treat employees quite well on the whole. They really do. And the ones that don't get called out for it pretty quickly. And with such a shortage of labor right now in general, skilled, unskilled, professional in every category, you're seeing right people shifting a lot, but not to the degree of the United States. The United States is seeing massive shifts 
And that I think is what I would suggest is a phenomenon difference is because the employment relationship they have between employer and employee down there needs more improvement than it has up in Canada. Yeah, my, you know, I, my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. That, that, those are my thoughts. I don't know if it's accurate, but I think that's what I see. And you see a lot more unrest uh, among employers and employees down there. There's, you know, things like even like healthcare, right? Not all employers offer benefits in Canada, but but we do have a backup plan, which is universal healthcare, right? When you're when you're sick, you need help, right? So in the United States, right, healthcare is not universal yet. It's not there yet, right? So really seeing people needing these things more so in a place that hasn't yet developed that that better system for social safety net for their people. You mentioned how Canadian employers and American employers maybe uh, treat their employees a little differently. It just got me thinking about a friend of mine who was recounting last year a, a new job he was starting. He's an IT professional, very well paid. Uh, he's got all his certifications, but uh, everyone in the company still had to submit to like regular drug testing, which right. uh, it's yeah. not really something that we do here in Canada. So it's it's kind of like a very different sort of culturally as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, there are great companies in the United States. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of great companies out there. I just don't think that every one of them is. Yeah. And, and you're going to find a higher proportion of great companies in Canada overall based on how we've, you know, created our society over time than you have down there. And, and I think that's really the difference between the, the resignation itself as far as the stats go. That's my guess. Um, but I think it's pretty close to accurate. What's the biggest challenge for employers right now here in Canada? <laughs> the one challenge is always the same. Finding good people. Yeah, with with the great resignation being at least some of, of what a phenomenon in Canada, it's it's there, um, not as high as the United States, but it's there still. That's a big factor. We're seeing that paired with the boomers, you know, retiring right now. We're seeing that happening on a, on a scale that hasn't been seen before, and we're seeing a lack of immigration of professional people that really was tightened up a few years ago that is now exacerbating the problem right now. So you have those those three things working together, plus people thinking, I want to change careers, work for myself, right? That whole thing. So you have a perfect storm of factors causing a real shortage of, of professional at all levels in every industry that I've seen so far, professional people to work. So it's a challenge for all employers right now. Yeah, Ottawa, they announced last year plans to bring in, I, I could be getting the exact number wrong, but I think like a million people a year for like the next three years in order to meet some of the labor shortages going on here. Is this kind of a, 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 a the correct strategy moving forward? Should it be more discerning about what kind of people are coming in? I just think about how the United States has almost gone in the opposite direction with regards to tightening up on immigration, despite like the great labor demand south of the border. Yeah, I, th- I think the idea of bringing more people into Canada in general is a good one because we're short in every category of human beings skills. So I think bringing people in in mass is a good idea. Um, what you're seeing, though, is a function of not just the pandemic, but prior to that, there was a tightening up of, in- of immigration of skills for a long period of time in Canada over time that became more and more tight into Canada. And, and they use a point system for how they rate people's uh, PRs or visas or you know ability to come to Canada and work here. That point system was super high at its peak before 2019, before 2020, the pandemic started. That point system actually caused a restriction of people coming here in general. People who are very good, very qualified, very professional were being sent back, not being allowed to work here long term. That caused its own problems. What you're seeing now is a response to the fact that that, that problem it caused caused huge problems now. So the bar to get into Canada has been lowered dramatically. What I don't know is that we're going to bring in all the good people we need, doctors, you know, accountants, people that are professional as well. Will we bring those in, those people in? Uh, will we not? I don't know yet. But I, I think it, the question is, 
you know, what specifically will be done, the tactical question. And I don't know if the plan of bringing people in mass is, is always being thought through from a detailed standpoint, Tyler. Well, if you had to forecast, uh, do you anticipate the Canadian workforce becoming much more dependent on freelancers in the coming years? I, I have. In fact, I've invested a lot of uh, energy and time into creating a technology application designed to help employers hire people for shorter periods of time. So I think that's the future. I think that we should embrace the giggers, embrace the connectors, embrace the individuals who have a different purpose than, than, than the career person might have. And that's really important because as the river flows, you got to flow with it. And I think that you're going to see a lot more of that in the future and employers will have to adapt. Uh, so far, they've had a hard time with it. They, you know, they're used to their old ways. It's hard to change things. But eventually, you got to train faster, onboard faster, offboard faster, adapt to that new style of gigger or conductor that you're going to see in the future, I think. Just out of curiosity, how, how does that technology work that uh, you've been developing? Uh, good question. Uh, so, so we start off with a, a skills-based matching system. So for the first time ever, we, we think that um, jobs should be based on skills matching. When you see a traditional job posting on any kind of like traditional posting site, a lot of words are written down about attitude, organization, things that aren't necessarily qualifiable, but they're not really able to be qualified unless you actually try the person with a job. So the application we're creating allows you to match people based on skills that they've qualified to be, you know, they qualified to have. Once those skills are qualified, they go there, they work. If they like the person, they can permanently onboard them. So it's more of a try before you hire approach, which works really well for the person trying out the company and the person who's a company, sorry, the company trying the person as well has to try the employee first. So it's more of a new approach to how people should hire, in my opinion. Um, you know, as a company that, that focuses on permanent placement recruitment as well, we understand it's difficult to really understand a person's ability and willingness to work if you don't really try them up beforehand. But that's not how traditional job matching has been done. This new approach is a little more tech savvy, a little more skills based, and it also removes in a big way the hiring bias we've seen before. So it's designed to do a few different things. Well, excellent. Jeff, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Tyler, thanks so much. Great to meet you and great to be on the show. Thanks again. That is Jeff Harris, CEO of Impact Recruitment, and that is it for BIV today. But you can still go to BIV.com. More stories, videos, interviews, all right up there. In the meantime, I just want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.